There are three passages this morning that I'll be reading. They can be found on pages 7 and 8 of your service sheets. The first passage is from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalm. Psalm 119, starting at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. The New Testament uh, passage there from the Gospel of Matthew, starting at verse, uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The last passage is from the book of James, can be found on page 8, James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Thank you, Anne. So high school kids are off. I think they know where they're going, which is the back of the church today. I think they're going to go and do their program in the sun. Quite frankly, I'm jealous. Do you want to come with me? We, we could go out. Of... How can we make that happen, Paul? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, in, in the, the passage today, your word is likened to a mirror. Uh, Show us what we're really like. Show us what you're really like, you're truly like. Show us Jesus Christ. We pray this in the power of your spirit. Amen. What is the Bible like? To what do you liken the Bible? Give an example. Charles Spurgeon once likened the Bible to a, a lion. He famously said, defend the Bible. I would soon, as soon defend a lion. Unchain it and it will defend itself. Others have a less exciting view. Uh, some say the Bible is just a rule book. And I guess they make that case because it's got many commands. Some say it's a sort of owner's manual because we believe there's a creator who knows how the device runs, like human life runs. Some take it as mere history, uh, full of stories. And that's true, it's lots of history there. Some say it's a myth in part because there are so many unusual things, and there really are, and still many others would say that the Bible's a phone book because it bores them to tears. What does the Bible say about itself? Well, in Psalm 119, it says that the word is sweeter than honey to my mouth. In Hebrews 4, it says the word is a sword that pierces hearts. Isaiah says the word is rain on earth. Psalm 119, a lamp for my path, lots more like that. What does James say? Well, in our text today, in verse 21, first he likens the word to a seed. 1 verse 21, humbly, we need to humbly accept the word planted in you. Why? I take it because seeds are small, they seem insignificant, but you plant them in the right soil, you, the word planted in the human heart grows to be, James says in 1 verse 18, a crop of something beautiful. 1 verse 18, last week, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that seed language, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he's created, a, a crop which shows the world a new and better way, for example, to suffer. To live, to love, to do life, begs the question, has God planted that seed within you? Or is Christianity more like a code for Christian values? And if He has planted that seed within you, are you watering the seed? Are you weeding the garden of the Word in your heart? Come back to that seed. Secondly, in our text today, He likens the Bible to a mirror I went looking for one today, I don't have one around. Mind you, my phone is a mirror when you press that little button. Beep. 
Mirrors, of course, uh, in the first century, so precious. So precious. Dime a dozen today, first century, so precious. And when you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see yourself reflected. You see your skin, your eyes, your cheekbones. But that's all you can see. James writes, verse 23, anyone who listens to the Word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, that's the parallel to listening to the Word, looking at your face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Isn't that interesting? It's complex there, but not doing what the Word says is like forgetting who you are. Not doing what the Word says means you become inconsistent with who you truly are if you're in Christ. You end up having an unaligned life. Saint on Sunday, ogre on Monday, not good. Verse 23 is meant to be a little funny. Again, not belly laugh. I mean, we're not talking about comedy club. But, you know, anyone who listens to the Word, doesn't do what he says, is like a man who looks in a mirror... If I look in the mirror, I see someone who's a little tall. I'm six foot three. I'm Caucasian. I've got grey hair. I've got a Moffat jaw, father and grandfather, and little ears. The humour there is if I look in the mirror and then I go away and say I'm a short, blonde Norwegian with big ears, then I'm, I don't have an accurate picture of myself. The joke is I don't know who I really am. So three questions today, uh, and this is on page nine of your orders of service. If the word is a mirror that sees more than just eyes, skin, and cheekbones, well, what will you see? How will it shape your life? And how do you look into it? Firstly, what do you see? You'll see yourself. You'll see Jesus Christ. But you'll also see yourself, but not just skin, eyes, and cheekbones. You'll see your soul. If you're prepared to look intently, and see yourself there in the stories, not resisting, not defending. You'll see who you truly are on the inside, if you're willing to look. But also you'll see in equal measure, maybe in greater measure, who you're meant to be in Christ, a glorious new human being. You'll know what you're supposed to do. Listen to the Word and do what it says. James is quoting his brother there, by the way, Jesus, in Matthew 7. But if you listen to the Word and you don't do what it says, then you could safely say that you're living inconsistently with the way God intends you to live. Mirrors are precious in the first century, but what would happen if you had a mirror that could look into your soul, that could sort of reveal who you were on the inside? One scenario, of course, is you look and you grieve with despair, with some level of honesty about your life, Anger, temper, defensiveness, quick to speak, slow to listen, all that. But James actually says, if you look intensively into the Word, you'll see the gospel of Jesus Christ, verse 21, that saves us. Such a positive view of the Bible. He writes, the law which gives perfect freedom. The Word liberates you in verse 25. These verses is James quoting Jesus, his brother. I love that, by the way. Grew up with him, 
listen to him. At one point in Mark 3, thinks he's out of his mind. Go and have a read of it, by the way. Jesus' mother and brothers come to take him away, like pat him on the head and say, he's a little, he's, you know, he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. They were wrong about him, and Jesus makes that point in Mark chapter 3. But, you know, he, in time he came to, well, call his brother the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Try saying that about your brother. <laughs> I mean, he yielded. He recognised that his brother was from God. His brother was God. That's what he recognised, that this was unique. So he quotes his brother, but deviates. <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, there's the same construction, is likened to a foolish man who builds his house on sand. Don't do that. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and the house fell with a great crash. So hearing the words is one thing, but the wise one does them, and that person's like, says Jesus, a man who builds his house on rock, not on sand. Notice, did you notice when Anne read it a moment ago, you'll get the same storms as everyone else, same sufferings, same trials, but you'll look at them, count them as pure joy, James 1 verse 3, because you're standing on solid ground, you're standing on, on the words of Jesus Christ and doing what they say. The truth, of course, is that we need a mirror uh, that truly reflects who we are. And mirrors, by the way, have to be outside of yourselves. One of the gorgeous reflections on life is you, you have never seen your face. Never seen your face with your own eyes. You thought about that? It has never happened. <laughs> Eyes are outward looking. You've got to have something external to truly see who you are. You have never seen your face outside of a mirror. We need an external law to truly judge ourselves. It can't come from within. Michael Jensen is a friend of mine, is a minister and a commentator in various platforms in Sydney. He says, ultimately, if sincerity of heart, my heart, is the yardstick by which belief is to be measured, then we make ourselves to be our own judges, our own little gods. But that doesn't leave us much room for critiquing the beliefs that other people hold. So why can't they sincerely believe the thing that you think is hurting others? He writes, we are left floating in the impenetrable bubbles of our own subjectivity. The claim of Scripture is, the is that the Bible is the mirror you need so that truth is not ultimately subjective. You are not, the, you are not your own interpreter. God interprets you to you. Psalm 19 expresses this perfectly. The psalmist says to God, Your words are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. By your words, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? It's in the human capacity to be self-deceptive. And you say, that's not me, I know exactly, you know, I know. Well, congratulations, you're the only one in the room who really knows their own heart and the depths, you know, of depravity that, that, that are there. We need the one who made us to tell us who we are, and he provides scripture. Paul Tripp, the uh, American pastor, said, God has given us his truth so that it would make sense out of life for us. He knew that there were, we would never properly understand life on our own. There's a din of voices everywhere. 
You, know, you watched the election last night, a dinner of voices everywhere vying for your heart. God's Word sits above it all. It was given to cut through all the confusion and exegete life for us. And what if you see, if you look into that mirror, to the Scriptures, you read the narratives of Scripture, you'll discover that you're the creature of a good God, made in His image and special to Him, but you'll also discover you're a broken spirit, a willful person needing forgiveness from above. You'll discover that you're a loved son in Christ, a redeemed daughter of the King, and you get that from the Bible and from no one else, nothing else, from its narrative, written over thousands of years, from each of the stories where you place yourself in that story, but how you place yourself is key, because it's not just each of the stories that makes sense of life, but the story as a whole and how it fits together leading to the person of Jesus Christ. You'll see how loved you are. You'll look at the cross, and you'll see the justifying work of God, and therefore you'll be confident. You'll look at the resurrection, and you'll see substantial hope in life now, resurrection power, but also as you face your own impending death, you'll do it with confidence. Not easy, but possible. You'll see the Christ's ascension to glory, and you'll say, that's my king, and no other politician can give hope. You'll say, his life is my life, his death is my death, his resurrection, my resurrection, his hope is my hope. In other words, his story is my story. You'll see the wind, for example, of a political figure that you'll like and you won't say, oh, now we found my hope and my glory, I'm ecstatic. Nor will you see the wind of a political figure you don't like and say, my life is in despair. Because politicians aren't your hope. They're important, don't get me wrong. Not your hope. The story in the Bible is a mirror and it's worth looking intently into. Firstly. Secondly, how will then it shape your life? Life with God is like a muscle. It has to be um, exercised. <laughs> I went to see the Brandenburg, what is it, orchestra? I know these things. I'm highfalutin these days. Brandenburg Orchestra, and they play beautiful Baroque classics, but they played them to a group of um, acrobats, really, I don't know what the right language is, they're a circus, but don't think circus, think extraordinary men and women with extraordinary muscles, doing extraordinary things, almost without fault. The strength of the muscles is gobsmacking. They've exercised to get there. Now, I don't think God requires that of you. He just wants fitness. I don't mean physical fitness, by the way. Go ahead and be physically fit. That's a very smart thing to do. I'm talking about a spiritual fitness. If God feels flaccid, maybe you're not exercising your faith, testing it against difficult moments. The Bible must be read. It must be lived. Karl Barth, grace must find expression in life. Otherwise, it's not grace. It's just a lovely poetic theory that you adhere to. But he gets very specific, James does, as he does regularly. <laughs> he talks about it's going to be, have impact on what you say and what you do. Because framed around this reflection on the mirror in verses 21 to 25, 
are these challenges, and they, by the way, as bookends, they are the same challenge each time. Uh, be careful about your tongue in verses 19 and 20. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How hard is that? But also down at the bookend in verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless, but also like bookends, it's not just your tongue, but also an aligned faith, a just faith in a polluted world. You can see that in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you, but then down to verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, a just faith, a downward trajectory to those who are hurting, and also to keep oneself from being polluted by this murky, mucky, sinful world. Let me briefly break those apart, although the application for you should be going nuts inside of you. I can't give it to you. should be going nuts inside of you. What you say, you look at verse 19, take note of this, colon, <laughs> next words you hear are very important, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen So why do I keep talking over you? Slow to speak, why do I always want to have the last word? And slow to become angry, what is that with my temper? Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger, temper, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It doesn't, it's not productive the way He wants it to be productive. Isn't that remarkable, by the way? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I asked a group of young people, what would life be like if the opposite were truth, true, that we were slow to listen to others and quick to speak and very quick to become angry, and they said it'd be like Facebook. By the way, don't go blaming Facebook. We're talking about the human heart. I mean, social media might exacerbated, don't get me wrong, but we're talking about the human heart, we're not talking about Zuckerberg here. In other words, slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry is the world in which we live, and James is saying, opposite, if you're in Christ. Same in verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Wow, that's like a dagger to the heart right there. It's like saying, if you consider yourself fit, but you eat junk food and never work out, well, your fitness isn't fitness. The Bible has a lot to say about the tongue, and it's not just not swearing, although that's a good place to start. It's things like, don't bear false witness against your neighbour, i.e., you're not going to go out and destroy reputation. Or how about Ephesians? Do not let any unwholesome talk come from your mouth only what is helpful for building others up. So the sort of passing of jokes that denigrate things that God has made or hurt others. It's excluded for those who are in Christ. Or what about gossip? The psalmist says, the words of the gospel are like choice morsels. They are so tasty when you've got the news you want to share, but they actually go down to the innermost parts. They actually damage your soul as much as the person you're speaking about. 
We really are a people who believe that your words can deconstruct lives and construct faith. Both those things are true. You know that phrase we grew up with, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt me. Remember that? And you know, it was a good line, and I'm not um, talking, you know, I want to, it's saying don't be so, don't be a little um, tough and uh, don't be so offended so quickly. But you and I both know that six and stones may break my bones, but words can be permanently damaging. You can take down a human life with what you say. A child, a vulnerable person. Conversely, you can bring faith to others by speaking the gospel. That's what Alpha's all about. When you speak the truth in love, um, I do preparation for marriage. Uh, I feel hypocritical when I do, <laughs> but um, in the prepare course, there's like 300 or 400 questions, and uh, one of the questions that they ask or comments is, my partner makes comments that put me down, and I'm telling you right now, because I've done this hundreds of times, more people say yes to that than no to that. It's pretty common. But James has got a challenge. It's a challenge that's hard to work out what to do with. But, you know, no more destructive words, um, no unchecked cynical words intended to undo good things. We need to start saying good things to our spouses in um, gentle ways. Gottman would say, less harsh startups, if you've been reading that book. Ask me later. We need to take care of our language. I'd say stop swearing. I think that's probably a good start. Um, I even think no more, oh my God, uh, or even OMG in a text. I just, you know, I, sh should you be using God's name like that? It's, it's... Give up your hurtful words and uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, we find that really hard. Um, we couldn't do it at 10.15. At 6 o'clock, we've got a, a psychologist who's going to talk about why it's so hard to step back from the desire to have the last word and, and, um, and why tempers system. Why you put this, God puts this word out, it's like, but how do you stop yourself from getting angry when it's just bubbling up from within? Come to 6 p.m. if you get a chance to do that. But just because the words are challenging doesn't mean you reject them. Ray Galea, a minister in the western suburbs of Sydney, he said this, when I became a Christian, there were parts of the Bible I didn't like, and I realized right there and then that one of us was going to have to change. It wasn't going to be the Bible. The truth is we don't just need to change a few words. We actually need salvation. We need redemption. We need the work of the Spirit. We need to undergo the spiritual program of the Messiah, which will mean soaking yourself in the Word, looking intently into it, and no longer letting Australia determine your language, but rather letting Jesus shape your language by shaping your heart. But it's not just what you say, it's also what you do. You notice the trajectory downward and outward. James says, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Which, by the way, means that there's a religion God doesn't accept. It's not just, oh, all religions are the same. No, God says that religion stinks and this religion is right. James says, here's the religion that God accepts. And he's speaking to people in Christ. He's trying to say, align your faith. He's saying, you want to align faith if you're in Christ, then you're going to be, you're going to have a downward trajectory to the vulnerable, he says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, quoting from the Jewish scriptures but also to keep oneself from being polluted 
by the world. There's the religion that God accepts, and it means there's one He doesn't. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, uh, Merely, mere waiting is not Christian behaviour, although important. Christians are called to sympathy and to action. So I say, and this is going to mean something for each of you, Hope for Sydney exists in this space, but find the lonely, work out how you're going to demonstrate to them that they can have a friend in God. Serve the poor, we have options for doing that here at our church, through the City Care Lunch and other things. Provide a light in a dark world, visit those who are dying and sick, find the time, write it down. To do that, you've got to be uh, not always thinking about what's on next on your agenda, you've got to be sort of curved outward to others to even find a space to go and visit people who, who you hear uh, need to be visiting. And don't think that your presence will be unimportant, oh, they should have a visit from a minister. Bollocks! Wrong! <laughs> they need your visit, I see. Fight for those without advocacy, care about those who are in prison, especially those in prison for their faith, and we're going to hear more about that during the year when we look at Daniel um, and persecution. Visit those who are in detention. Listen to the two things that are there in verse 27. Religion that God accepts as pure is to A, look after orphans and widows in their distress, and B, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. People have often remarked that you've got this beautiful thing which appears inconsistent in our modern political world. People think that you're pitting two things against each other there, compassion on one hand and traditional morality on the other. It looks like it's a pitting of the left versus the right. And you and I both know that's not true. You also know that there's complications there with respect to what we believe a government should do in our name, or what maybe an individual could do. But people look at that verse and they scratch their heads. Look after, looking after orphans and widows looks like a sort of left-leaning sort of principle. The world should be kinder, they say. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world feels a little bit sort of easy, doesn't it? It's considered more right-leaning. The world should be more righteous. It's often said the left champion care, the right champion purity, but it's a false dichotomy. Perhaps we need to hear this word from Dr. Tim Keller today more than ever. I love what he says in this space. He says, truth doesn't come from the right, truth doesn't come from the left, and that's because truth comes from above. Amen? Why does this behavior mirror God? Why is this the religion that God accepts? And the answer is because it reflects His heart. He adopted us when we were orphans, widowed by our sin, we were poor, He made us spiritually rich in Christ. We were homeless, He gave us an eternal home. We were brought low, He lifted us up. That's the gospel. That's what He is like. And it's got to change how we live. We've got to start reflecting His heart as a redeemed person. I love what Friedrich Nietzsche once said. I he said, I'd believe in a redeemer if the redeemed looked redeemed. How do you look into it? And the simple answer is intently, verse 25, and continuously. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, so it can't just be, I read the Bible once or I looked at it over a year, but it's a, a long obedience in the one direction. So you've got to look intently, soak yourself there, read, mark, learn, inwardly digest our app, A Year with Jesus, that you can see how to access 
on page um, on page 14 of your orders of service. Uh, Paul White, who's been leading the service today, uh, or did announcements wasn't at the beginning, uh, does, does a lot of work in that space. And the idea is that you can soak yourself on a small portion of Acts every day or go back to the library and look at some parts of the Gospels. And then you need to continue to look there, to stay habitually there. It doesn't mean you need to read the Bible for two hours every day, but just a portion each day. I want to say don't waste 2019. Don't waste another decade. We need a long obedience in the one direction. But more than that, James goes on and says, do not forget but rather do what it says. So it's a sort of exercise and practice, and it has to be exercised against a hard thing. That's how muscles grow. I say bring your Bible to church, bring your mirror to church, and come so with an open heart, checking your heart. I love that quote from Ray Ortland Jr. when he says, if your heart does not leap at God's grace in Christ, what you need is more grace. Nothing else can save you from your own deadness. Therefore, he writes, fear your own hardness of heart more than anything else. Beware of rigidity. Beware of ingratitude. Beware of a demanding spirit. Beware of an unmelted heart that is never satisfied. Beware of a mind that looks for excuses not to believe. Today is the day of salvation. Beware of the impulse that always tries to find a reason to delay a response. We could add to this Beware of defensiveness, beware of having the last word, beware, beware of judgmentalism, beware, beware of thinking of how the sermon applies to someone else. God watches, he writes, how you hear his word. I entitled this sermon, How to Be Religious and Not Religious at Work, and I know that seems uh, contradictory. Religion's a dirty word, it means sort of observance to certain religious things, but James says it's a good religion, and it's not just doing a few things, it's an aligned faith with a controlled tongue, widows and orphans cared for, not sucked into the world in which we lived. That's when religion starts to not look like a religion anymore. <laughs> uh, it looks like love, not mere observance. It looks like love of God and love of others. In the end, I think, if I can put it this way, move beyond the text a little bit. It's not just that the mirror points to ourselves, but we need to adjust the mirror, like a rear-view mirror in a car's car. There's two ways you can look into it. You can see yourself, but if you adjust it to the right place, you can see behind you. And as you do life traveling along, I suggest you look into the mirror of the Word and see yourself, but adjust it back to the life of Jesus Christ. As Paul said to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. If we die with him, he says, we will live with him. His story is my story. If we endure sufferings, we will also reign with him. May this be true for us. Let's pray. Father, we uh, beg you to touch our hearts, to plant a seed there that grows into a life of faith that's exercised, we're done with mere observance, uh, religion, which is just about vague values. We're done with the vibe. Give us something real. Uh, put some muscles onto our faith and show us Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.